you for joining us for Being a Parent is Hard. I'm Beth Feldman. I'm a clinical psychologist and a relational psychoanalyst. And I am Jen Raddis. I am also a clinical psychologist with a cognitive behavioral approach. Welcome to our office. Okay, so Jen, today we're going to talk a little bit about bullying. Um, I know you were just saying to me that it's like such a huge topic. There are so many different pieces of it we could talk about. Absolutely. And and where does meanness end and actual bullying begin? Yes. There's there's just a lot. So I think we could maybe focus on a few stories okay. and try and generalize some things from there. Yeah. Um, the first story that comes to my mind, in, in my head, I call it, you know, the, the tale of two girls. Because at one time I was dealing with a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old, mm -hmm. thankfully from different towns. Right. Um, who both of whom were being bullied. And the way they were being bullied was they were being ousted from their peer group. That's something we see all the time. Oh, my God. It's so, so brutal. Mm -hmm. um, as a matter of fact, just while I'm thinking of it, there's a great book called Queen Bees and Wannabes, which yes. talks just about this. Yes. Um, but so anyhow, both these girls were being ousted from their peer group, and it was right around Halloween, and they weren't on the group chats anymore, mm -hmm. and they weren't invited to go out. And they were, in each case, you know, like kids around here do, they were getting together to um, be in their costumes and, and hang out before they went out trick-or-treating. And neither of these girls were included. They would reach out to one person in the group or another yeah. and say, hey, can I come? And the person would kind of awkwardly be like, well, gee, I don't think so. And it, it, was, it was really upsetting for both of them. So one girl took my heartfelt suggestion and decided to just try and make friends with a different peer group. Good she, suggestion. Yeah. She sat at a, a different table at mm -hmm. lunch and she started to reach out to these girls and they were some girls who were in her classes so she'd share notes. And, and she was clear to tell me at the beginning that they were nowhere near as cool as the other girls. They weren't as popular. They weren't as much fun. Mm -hmm. But it didn't take too long till she was talking about how wonderful they were and how accepted she felt. And she was going out and she was doing things and really having a good time. The other girl, um, the one who was actually a year older, unfortunately, she was determined to get back into this yeah. peer group. And she couldn't understand why these girls who adored her a month ago or a month before it started, all of a sudden, seemingly without warning, yeah. you know, the queen bee got annoyed at something. Yep. And that was it. Yep. And she just couldn't like come to terms with the fact that that they were not going to let her back in. And she really spent the better part of her junior year trying desperately to get back in with these girls and spending a lot of time at home alone. And that must have been so hard to see. Uh-huh. You know, from from yeah. your perspective, from from family's perspective. What what do you think made the difference between like between the the two outcomes, what what do you think made the difference between the two girls and being able to kind of venture out outside the peer group versus that need to sort of be in a particular place? That's a great question. I think the ability to pivot. That's and interesting. The fifteen year old was younger, less concerned with social status, though still yes. somewhat because she told me they were not nearly as cool. Right. I had to yeah. ask her exactly what that meant because I wanted to know what she thought was cool. Yeah. Um, but she was less married to it. Yeah. And the 16-year-old 
who's a, a darling girl, but she was more into, you know, being cool, dressing a certain way, certain statusy things, and you know, was much more caught up. Her her friend group was a faster group. Yeah. Um, and she was holding on for dear life, but really, these girls were mean. And I, that happens often. You know, we talked we talked in our other in other podcasts about right about pressure and that and that kind of social pressure. And I think very often that can set up this dynamic of bullying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know that book also, and it's it's a wonderful book. And you know, this idea of social bullying, you know, these groups and the including and the excluding and a queen bee, you know, is something that has existed for for a time, you know. Look at the movie Clueless, and you know so much has been, you know, has been written about and portrayed in in various ways. But I, I like you, I find it all the time. And you, you know, you mentioned this happened to do with Halloween. Every year in September, in my office, everyone says, "Oh my God, Halloween is next month," and you would think, you know, why is it a problem? And every every parent and every child. To adolescent, like from fourth grade, you know, through to being a senior in high school is worrying about the pressure of their Halloween costume because it creates a scenario where there is that kind of bullying of exclusion, Mm -hmm. right? This person is on the out. I hear that in my office all the time, right? Well, we're not talking to that person this week. Or the person in my office is the person on the on the out, and then how do you deal with all of a sudden your friend group is not is excluding you, and not only exclu- excluding you, but sometimes being really like mean about it, you know, and her- in a very hurtful way. Absolutely, there are so many different ways that you know kids get bullied, and I think what their peers don't understand is that it's not just hurtful in the moment. This affects kids' self-esteem. It affects their, you know, feelings of social competence. Yes. And it really has long-lasting effects. I work with a lot of adults who will come in and still be talking about when they were bullied as a child. Now, for some, it made them kind of angry and feisty and kind of ready to tear down any obstacles. Yes. And for others, it left them feeling less than and tentative. Yes. Insecure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've even said to to one kid, like when she was talking about somebody being so mean to her, I said, do we need to break a few kneecaps? Right. <laughs> I was kind of venting my own anger at the situation, but trying to let her know she wasn't alone. Well, I think it is a universal experience. Right? I think it is far more rare to be a person who doesn't have a place where they have been bullied or have you know, have felt that that kind of meanness or that exclusion or, you know, and I think, you know, something you and I also talk about in our hallway is, and I think about all the time, which is how social media has impacted bullying, it, you know, especially in these, especially in these peer groups. And I, I see it a lot, you know, in my middle school and teen, you know, and high school teenagers, Girls, girls and boys. Um, but I think girls bullying tends to take a little bit more of a subtle, not as easily caught kind of flavor to it. Although social media makes it so ripe, you know, for bullying to happen. Um, you know, 
I was treating an, an adolescent who we had been working on, like opening up and sharing with her friends. You know, she was going through some hard things at home. You know, there were marital issues with her parents, and she was feeling isolated, like she couldn't talk to anybody about it. And we talked about some peers, you know, to share that information with. I thought she had some good ideas about who to share it with and some not so great ideas mm -hmm. about who to share it with, you know, from my adult perspective. And she chose somebody to, to share it with who was going through their own insecurity. And so, you know, my client wrote out this whole text. You know, I just want you to know I've been feeling anxious. I've been feeling sad. This is what's going on in my house. And the adolescent she shared it with who was going through her own insecurity and desire to be in a different place in the hierarchy of her peer group, screenshotted that and shared it with her peer group. Trying to further her own social Trying status. Trying to further her own yeah. social status, Eesh. right? And not in a let's rally around this person, uh -huh. but in a ha, 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 look at what this person is going through, yeah. you know, what's wrong with them kind of way. And that was so... It was so incredibly hurtful to my client. Absolutely. Ugh. Yeah. It, when you see a kid come in like that, you just, you know, you want to start out giving them a hug. And uh, I know. You want to take it from there. Your heart breaks. It really, it really does because we can see how painful it is for them. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to give you an example of something that a parent did that I thought was just wonderful. Um this mom has uh, an older son and a daughter, and I was working with the daughter who was about 15. And the daughter was telling her that she was going to have friends over, um, and everybody was coming except this one girl. And the mom said, well, why aren't you inviting her? She was your friend. And she said, no, we're, we're annoyed at her now. Yeah. Love that sentence. Yes. Yeah. So the mom said, we're annoyed at her now? You know, the, the queen bee was annoyed at her, and so everybody else had to be annoyed yeah. at her. So she said, she's been your friend since kindergarten. And the girl's like, I, I don't want to have her. We're annoyed at her now, whatever. So the mom said, well, you're not having people over unless she's included, because that's just mean. Good for her. And the daughter said, that's fine. So-and-so will have people over. <laughs> and the mom said, fine for so-and-so. You're not going. Oh, wow. Good for her. Because this is just mean. Ah. So, you know, we talked a lot about what it was like for her that her mom took that stance. Yes. And why she thought her mom took such a hard line about it. Um, and we, what I tried to help her understand was that this girl who somebody found annoying briefly um, had not committed a heinous crime. Correct. You know, everybody's annoying at different points in time. And yes. how about taking her aside and saying, hey, when you do that, it really kind of bothers people. Yeah. How about giving her a heads up? Um, and I also asked her, what did she think the impact was of this girl's being excluded? How big a deal did she think it was going to be for question. that girl? And tried to help her begin to think about the effects of her behavior and the repercussions for other people. Could she see? Could she see it? Did you get a sense that that was developing? Um, I wish I could say absolutely. Yeah. She, I wish I could say she said, "Oh my God, I never thought about that." Right. No, she told me as my own kids tell me, "You're ridiculous." Uh huh. Um, I hear that a lot. Yeah. But I think a seed was planted. You know, 
I always suggest to parents, like, never look for validation from your kids right. to know you're doing it right. <laughs> um, and in therapy, too. a lot of times we say things. Yes. And people rarely say, oh, my God, that's so true. Yes. I mean, occasionally. Sure. But more often than not, things yeah. percolate. And so I do think it percolated and it affected her behavior moving forward. But what helped the most was that she had a mom with a really strong value system. And that is really hard to do as a parent, yes. you know, to think about what your child, like the lesson you want your child to learn in that moment, to think about how you want them to be as a person, and then balance that with knowing that you are, you know, a feeling that you're taking something away or you are, you know, doing something different than other parents might be doing is really, that's, that's, um, that's a hard thing to do as a parent. And I think I, I think that things percolate because we have to we have to remember about development, right? You know, from childhood through adolescence, you know, they're they're developing and they're they're growing in their ability to take perspective mm -hmm. and think about another person and put themselves in another person's shoes. Right. You know, that we aren't born with that ability. That ability comes over time. And I think it comes over time if our environment sort of also teaches it to us, right? If it sort 1, of like 000%. pushes us on that road of, hi, you are supposed to be thinking about other people's feelings when you make decisions for yourself. Right. You know, it's funny because you, you get some kids, and again, this is mostly around adolescence because that's when the ability to really put yourself in someone else's yeah. shoes and try to see things through their eyes when that really starts, but some kids only want to people please. Yes. And they're so they're so overly tuned in to other people's feelings. And a lot of times those are the kids that get bullied, by the way, because yes. there's that vulnerability and there's that eagerness to please. Um and then there are other kids though who have a lot of trouble taking someone else's yeah. perspective, imagining how someone else yeah. feels about something and having that matter to them. Right. 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 There's two. There's there's both of those steps. There's the taking of the perspective and the idea that how somebody else feels about something should resonate with you in some kind of way. Right. Yes. You should have feelings about how the other person is feeling. Right. So, Jen, what do you think? What do you do when you have a kid in your office who's being bullied? How do you how do you help them or what do you have to address first? There are a lot of different components. So I, I think first there has to be an assessment of of what the bullying behavior is. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that has to happen for for two reasons. So first and foremost, I think it has to happen for safety reasons. You know, how how serious is the behavior? What's what's happening? You know, is there a mechanism for the person to, you know, to be safe? Do they have somebody to to talk to about it? Um and then the other piece is what you alluded to before, which is actually a complicated entity is that there's a difference between like meanness or rudeness and actual bullying behavior, which has relevance in deciding how to handle the situation and in helping kids to learn to scale their own experiences. You know, I I find I have lots of children and, and middle schoolers who, in a positive way, have sort of grown up where bullying is language they learn in school, right? And it's it's 
great that they that it's being recognized and it's being addressed and it's giving kids a platform to talk about it. But everything becomes bullying sometimes. And not everything is bullying. Mm -hmm. And so we have to discern what's going on. We have to know what's happening so we can make sure they're safe, but also that so that they can understand all the different types of social interactions that happen. You know, I have lots of kids, especially the kids who are struggling like with their own behavior and how to interact with peers, who will very often misinterpret the interactions with their peers, right? So they'll get bumped in the hallway or somebody will say like, oh, why'd you raise your hand? Or that question was so stupid. Or, And there's a difference between things that are not appropriate and rude and mean and how we handle it. And the more kind of consistent, perpetual, excluding, knocking somebody down, making right. life unhappy and you know unmanageable and unbearable for them so for me the first step is what's going on is this person safe and in what category are we putting this into so that then we can decide what are the next steps we're taking Mm -hmm. that's a really good point yeah you know i talk to a lot of parents when it clearly is bullying um that you know reach out to the other kids parents and try and have a sit down Try and say, hey, can we come over, you know, and sit down with you and your partner, if you have one, and yes. your child, and see if we can't work this out. Yes. And if that doesn't work, I suggest that they go to the school yeah. Yeah. and that they ask for slash insist yes. that the school do that. The yes. school have a sit down with yes. everybody. Yes. You know, a lot of times the schools want to handle it, you know, with like the assistant principal and the two kids, and they don't want to bring the parents in. Right. But I think that it's a mistake because you can't have the support and the follow-through at home I agree. if the parents aren't brought into the process. I, agree. I also think that places too much expectation on kids to change and correct and understand their own behavior, right? And so I, I agree with you. My next step is who who needs to be involved in this situation because and we go to sort of that bullying kind of piece of things and not just the mean piece of things, it's too much most often to expect kids and adolescents to handle that on their own, right? For me, that falls under the category of things you are supposed to ask for help with and places where the adults in your life need to rise to that occasion. Because again, like as we just said, they're developing, they're learning self-control and perspective taking. And it's, you know, it's not enough to sit down, you know, the the bullier and the victim, you know, in an office and say, well, you know, how can the two of you get along? But there's no real conversation about what's happening and how is that change going to be supported and promoted in and out of school. Right. Even insisted upon. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's it's such a complicated matter because it's also not like with a lot of kids. You say, how is school? Fine. Right. <laughs> Anything going on in school? <laughs> nope. How are your friends? Fine. Fine. And yet they have the, yeah. you know, kicked puppy look on their face. Yeah. So a lot of times it's a matter of really um, digging deep, doing yes. some detective work, yes. uh, just kind of going at it from different angles to say, you look sad. Right. 
what's going on? Right. And it does, it's as parents, it's noticing those kinds of things, right? That's something we can do as parents is notice the changes in our kids. You know, where are they? Are they, do they suddenly appear sad? Do they have a sad expression? Are you getting one word answers where you used to get whole sentences and paragraphs? Are, are they suddenly spending more time in their room? Are they are they suddenly going out less? Are you sensing, a, you know, a change in friendships? I think we have strong intuition as parents, mm-hmm. and I think we have to to trust it, and that becomes the place where you start asking questions. Absolutely. And I have a lot of parents say, well, I, I thought it was just like typical teenager behavior to just be in the room with the door shut. And it's like, yes, but... <laughs> Yeah. You need to dig deeper because right. sometimes there's something underneath that. Right. And and is it is it is it a change? Mm-hmm. You know, do you have a child who productively likes to have their time alone and closes their door or do you have a, you know, a child who was happy and talkative and in the living room who is suddenly behind closed doors? Right. And another thing I I tell parents is that sometimes there's no short way to do things. Right. You know, everybody's too busy. And sometimes you need to take the long way home. Sometimes, you know, you if you flop down on your kid's bed next to them mm-hmm. while they pretend to ignore you, yep. in the first 10 minutes, they say nothing. Yep. But maybe by minute 25, they start talking. Correct. You know, maybe you're in the car for an hour. Yep. And somewhere around minute, you know, 40, yep. they start talking. Yeah. These things can't be rushed. No. I know. I remember my own kids were, you know, were beginning beginning high school and, you know, you're tired. You're, you know, you're a parent, you're home, you're working, you're whatever, and you, you sort of want to go to sleep. And I think it is this, it is inevitable that somehow adolescents always want to talk at 11 p.m., uh-huh. right? <laughs> so you pop in to sort of say goodnight and then you sit down for a second and you sort of stay and then you get to a minute and a half or a minute three and then all of a sudden, you know, it's one o'clock in the morning. I used to like appear back in my bedroom at one o'clock in the morning. My <laughs> husband would wake up and say, what's the matter? But I know we were having a conversation. And so you got to take those moments when you can. Absolutely. All right. So let's, you know, we've talked about a lot of different yeah. things. We could talk about bullying forever and a day. Uh, it's just, it's such an upsetting topic. Um, but let's see if we can come up with just a few takeaways for our parents. Yeah, because I think there are things we can do so that that big topic feels like a little bit more manageable. Mm-hmm. What takeaways do you have on this one? All right. Let's see what what I've been thinking. So, you know, you asked me before about, you know, how do I address it in my office? So one thing that I do from the kid's perspective is we teach assertiveness, mm-hmm. right? This idea that it is okay and it is good to stand up for yourself and that there are positive ways to do that, right? The assertiveness doesn't mean being aggressive. It doesn't mean being mean or snarky back, but it means standing up for yourself. Don't talk to me that way, uh-huh. right? Don't put your hands on me right? I don't like the way you are treating me Mm -hmm. right now, right? That there are lots of things that we can model as parents and we can teach our kids as being able to put words to, this is how I want to be treated. This is what's okay and what's not. And it is okay to say that out loud. We practice it in my office, especially like the younger kids. Uh You know, we say it. We say, you know, I say, you know, say it with pride, you know, don't speak to me that way. Right. And I think those those kinds of things can be very helpful. 
Absolutely. It's it's like filling up their toolbox yes. so that when an anticipated situation comes up, they know how to respond. Yeah. Uh, I think that's that's fantastic. I think also, you know, trying to work with kids and help them understand that if in September these kids love them, mm-hmm. love this mm-hmm. person, they thought they thought that your patient was absolutely wonderful. And in October, suddenly they're being ousted. Well, they didn't change. Right. They're still the same person that this group of kids absolutely loved. They didn't change. Correct. So you want to try and help them protect their self-esteem and their sense of who they are and recognize that other people just behave horribly sometimes. And maybe there are things that they're doing that are pushing people's buttons and it'd be great to help them understand that this is not who they are, but it's certain behaviors. Yep. Um, I'm thinking about one one boy that really took all the air out of the room every time he walked in. Yeah. And we needed to talk about how he could blend a little bit. Yes. How he could sit back and give yes. other people more of a chance to talk. Yep. And yep. almost count to 20 yep. before he started speaking because yeah. He really did take all the air out of the room, and that helped him become more successful in his peer group. So helping kids understand that they are who they are and the other kids' behavior is not a reflection of that, and also help them look at their own behavior and see, Mm -hmm. am I doing something to push buttons? That's a hard thing for kids to Mm -hmm. do. We spend a lot of time on those kinds of things in my office. And I have, you know, one of my kids came in a couple of weeks ago and, you know, he says to me, he said to me, "Um, I'm undergoing renovations. What do you mean you're undergoing renovations? (laughs) I'm undergoing renovations. I I think I finally understand the things you've been telling me that maybe I do that bother my peers and have something to do with the kinds of interactions I, I have. Uh-huh. With, the, with the kids at school. And I was just, I was amazed because like, I mean, it was just, it was, I loved, I told him I was going to steal that, that, that phrasing because I. Was, was he getting bullied by other kids? He was getting bullied. He had a long history of getting bullied by other kids. And so we had done in his toolbox. Um, so you sure you're not a cognitive behavioral therapist? Because uh, apparently so you not. have, apparently <laughs> you have a toolbox too. I do. <laughs> so, you know, you know, a lot of assertiveness was in his toolbox. A lot of ignoring was in his toolbox. A lot of encouraging his own interests and finding his own places he wanted to go were in his toolbox. Uh-huh. But undergoing renovations were was not yet in his toolbox. The idea that in no way um, you know, excusing any of the bullying that had happened to him, but that there were social skills he was struggling with that was setting up some really difficult situations with his peers. And he was able to figure out which one of those, you know, needed to be addressed. And then we were able to put things, you know, we were able to renovate and put things in his toolbox like, I need to I need to pay attention to the how loud my voice is. Uh-huh. I need to pay attention to how many questions I've asked and where I am in my personal space. So I think the toolbox is a combination of how they stand up for themselves and develop a strong sense of themselves, but also how we recognize the pieces where, you know, of what we're putting out to other people. Right. That's pushing other people's buttons. Right. Absolutely. That kind of, so 
we're we're encouraging self-reflection. Yes. Right? Yes. And that's super helpful. Yeah. And just part of the development of ourselves, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we would love to hear any questions or comments that you may have or any topics you would like to address. Our email address is being a person is hard podcast at gmail.com. And we welcome whatever you have to say. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for joining us. Take care. <laughs>